Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks so much for tuning in. So this week I'm interviewing Milo Bard. He's got many accolades and titles behind him. I don't even know where to begin. Um, we met many, many years ago and he was a college basketball superstar then. And since he's led this incredible journey, he's been everything from an artist to a musician, to a producer, to an entrepreneur. Like the list goes on and on. So welcome, Milo. Thank you so much for joining me today. How's it um, going? Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you. You're over the top kind as usual. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's going good. It's going yeah. good. How about you? Yeah, good. Um, it's another week in quarantine. So a week in quarantine. Yeah. yeah. I've lost track of the days, but that's okay. I'm sure a lot of people have. <laughs> I had a day tracker like on my desktop for like the first 40 days or something like that. And then when I realized that there was going to be just kind of less of a moment in time and more of like a progressive build out of how just kind of how the world is right now, I was like, I got to, I got to get rid of that. I got to delete that. <laughs> so I know we're past day 45. That's, I can tell you that much. <laughs> That's insane. I like stopped counting after the second week. I'm like, forget it. This thing has no expiration date anytime soon. So yeah. But anyways, on to uh on to you. Let's let's chat. Let's talk more about you and your journey and how far you've come and all the different fascinating things you've been doing. And yeah. Absolutely. So where do we begin? Um let's start with your college days and basketball. Right which is yeah when we met and i i um the first thing i have to say is as you, as you can tell from the accent i'm not from the united states and before i came to the us i wondered why it was that you know like in movies and books there's this constant like love affair in america with college and then i came to america and went to college in america yeah. and now and now i get it um 100 yeah. percent. i um you know when we met i was uh still playing college basketball. I think I was maybe in my senior year. Um, kind of maybe unlike a lot of people are led to believe, I actually was using my ability to play basketball um, and to get a scholarship to get a decent series of qualifications. I was never like fully dialed into the idea of thinking that I was going to be like a division one basketball player, and then, you know, an overseas high level player and then an NBA player. And then and then that was it. I was going to do that until I eventually just wasn't on the planet anymore. I, I always knew that there was an expiry date for me. And, and one of the things that I like to say that I took from my period of playing basketball in college and a professional level and take into business with me is that I would prefer always to be the person who leaves the party of their own accord rather than gets kicked out. Mm -hmm. So I kind of set my own expiry date for my basketball career in the pro. Um, yeah, I, uh, I did, I did, I had an incredible time uh, playing college basketball. I, I, and I had an incredible time in college in the United States. It was kind of everything that every, you know, movie and book and publication says it, it it's supposed to be. Um, I graduated with a major in business enterprise and two minors, minor in psychology and also a minor, um, in applied physiology. Um, mm -hmm. that's a really complicated way of saying the following my major in business enterprise is just kind of a little bit like business for dummies it just is i'm just going to be direct with you so um the psychology was is an interesting story that i would love to tell you and then applied physiology is um sports related stuff that at the time appealed to me greatly because i just have a fascination about how um, anything kind of in my immediate ecosphere works so in terms of business and psych in the body that just made sense for me um I did yeah I had an, an incredible experience and I knew that I wanted to play professional basketball and from a very kind of egocentric place and there's a story about that too but uh from a very egocentric place I knew that I wanted to do it I knew that there was a number in terms of money that I wanted to earn and I knew that there was kind of you know a um a level of prestige that I wanted to to get to and, and to be able to demonstrate before I stepped away from that party um so to speak um and like I say, I attribute any of the successes and accolades I've had to other people's belief in me. And I was very lucky. I had, a, a, you know, a, a rock solid coaching system in terms of their knowledge um, and experience as basketball coaches and, uh, and, and also in terms of their 
ability to effectively communicate coaching um, and, you know, believe in players and move them on. Um, so I did play pro, I, uh, bounced around and had a great time in Italy. I did a little bit of work in the D League here in the United States um, and ended up playing in uh, Italy and Iceland. The whole time I, uh, the whole time I was, I was kind of still investing my time and energy into figuring out what came next, knowing that there was a space um, for me in business and I, or I perceived that there was because of, um, you know, the, first of all, my degree. And then also being that typical kind of entrepreneurial, having that typical entrepreneurial mindset and, you know, not necessarily wanting to work for somebody else or to, or to work to contribute to somebody else's dream, but wanting to do so for myself. And initially what I thought, because I was, um, because I had my uh, degree, my minor in psych was my initial thought was I wanted to, uh, I wanted to start um, a, a business that was oriented towards putting um, a lot of uh, psychologists or psychiatrists under one roof and creating almost like a, um, a, a business pipeline for individuals who were struggling um, with self-worth in the business space and, and to push people through that. Um, and then I came to find out how much that would take in terms of um, not just financing, but in terms of qualifications, finding the right people that you could trust. Um, and then also finding a client base that was willing to admit to the fact that they were struggling psychologically in the business space. And so that idea fell apart pretty quickly. Okay. <laughs> um, Fair enough. So kind of towards the end of my period of time playing basketball, I was getting back into, to throw another card on the table, I was getting back into um, singing and, and music production a little bit, which is a background I'd always had growing up. I'd always been involved in um, singing and vocal production in, in a couple of different ways. I sang a lot in my church and, and always had kind of a little bit of a unique voice. So I always got the solos because it didn't blend that well chorally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, um, way, way, way back in time, you know, studied performing arts in the UK as well. So I was involved in musical theatre. And so... I'd always had a voice and a a feeling for performance. And so at the period of time when I was getting out of playing basketball for a living, I was going through some, you know, through a a pretty substantial romantic breakup. But also as well, um, I was anticipating and something that I was using writing as a coping mechanism for is I was breaking up, I suppose, ultimately from a lifestyle um, and stepping away from being a college athlete and being a professional athlete, it was probably the most substantial breakup in that particular period of my, t- of my time. What I didn't realize at that point in time was that I knew I was using my creative outputs as a coping mechanism for the breakup, but I didn't know at that point how valuable it was to always have a coping mechanism for every transient period of life. But stepping away, you know, from the college experience to the pros to just being a normal guy that's that's where the majority of things were i'm glad you put normal in quotation marks because that's far from what you are well okay for now (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's true your your mindset as an entrepreneur and somebody who creates business for yourself is an interesting one and meshing that with professional athletics I found incredibly difficult and here's why because I like to or at that point in time I didn't understand the value of rest and also I was a lot younger so I didn't have to invest as much time in rest Mm -hmm. so what would happen would be that I would go to like a morning practice and in between like a morning and an afternoon practice and and what you're asked to do because it's your job and your practice is to go as hard as you possibly can not just physically but mentally as well learn as much as you possibly can in terms of you know something you can knew you can do on court to score or stop somebody scoring or a series of new plays so it's very physically and mentally taxing what would happen was i would kind of similar to how things are with covid19 i would go to the practice and i'd come home and then i'd be at home and i'm like well i've got four or five hours what am i supposed to do with it and the answer to that is nothing you're supposed to rest and recuperate and prepare but for me just because of the way that kind of my psychology is organized i found i found that like waste time um, so I would try and find stuff to do with it. And then ultimately what would happen would be kind of psychologically or, or from a mental place, I'd become quite tired. So what was coming next, the idea of um, being a business person, building for myself and entrepreneurship eventually started to eat away at the career of basketball that I was having. So it became very obvious to me that it was time to make a move. 
okay. um, and make a move to something that was more sustainable. Right. And I remember being kind of at one point in time, kind of, you know, in between uh, generating business ideas and writing music and playing basketball. I remember turning up, turning up at a practice after we lost to a team that we shouldn't move to. And we're all kind of like standing on the baseline, getting ready to run sprints as you do when you're a basketball athlete and the coach is like screaming at us like if we don't with this this that and the third and if we don't do these things we're never going to win and i remember kind of being so psychologically drained at that point that i remember thinking to myself i actually don't care if we win or not that was like a huge red flag for me then i'm like okay this is a moment i now have to pull my energy out of this because i'm standing here with 20 other guys who all i want to do is win mm-hmm. 24 seven. And so for me to be the person on the team, it's like, you know what? I don't think I have the energy to give a crap if we win or not. Mm-hmm. That was a, a kind of seminal moment for me. Then another part of the story is about a year, maybe two years previous to that, I had been um, playing and coaching at a, a basketball camp called the King's Camp, um, which is here in San Diego, where I live now, um, held it. UCSD, University of California, San Diego, and the King's Camp is hosted uh, by LeBron James. And I had been in, you know, chatting briefly with him and listening to him speak and kind of watching his, his motivations as a business person, as well as an athlete. Um, I'd heard the message that I'd heard from him in, in speaking and uh, with him and hearing him speak is that, um, and, and even this is even the case for LeBron James, arguably the best basketball player on the face of the planet. In fact, almost definitely so at this point is there's always something that comes afterwards. And I had heard him talk about media and entertainment um, and heard him talk about his investments in that space for two reasons, because it's something that he loves and he's passionate about. And also as well, because it assists in aligning a narrative that I think for, you know, him as a rising black star or as a risen black star at that point it was important for people in his position to be able to use media and entertainment to convey a narrative and so that kind of like struck a chord with me that there's something afterwards and also that that media and entertainment can be taken seriously because for a long time i i didn't feel that way i felt like it was a difficult space to get into and put a ton of ton of time and energy into it and you don't really get anything out and it's difficult to make a business out of it so the culmination of having that that kind of anecdote in the back of my mind and listening to and you know lebron james talk about there's a something afterwards and it's okay if that something afterwards is media and entertainment i didn't hear anything else apart from that message like you could have said anything like literally Uh anything and there's a bear behind you and i'm like don't care all i heard was there's something afterwards and it could be media and entertainment i'm not on a mission here to tell my whole life story but for me it's important um to be able to demonstrate that i compartmentalize between the athlete space and the business person space because while that's not the case for a lot of people it was for me because when i when i was playing basketball and involved in that that was something that i took very seriously that was you know i you know trained as hard as i could and i really kind of put my entire uh, mind and kind of and body and ultimately soul into it um, and so when that moment was when that moment was over that's where there was a big pivot so there was college that was the most long-winded answer no but I think it's important to know a little bit about your background I'm not a firm believer that where you come from necessarily means where you're going I think people evolve and change and can kind of like direct themselves to like where they want to go eventually. Like, I don't think, I think it contributes to who you are. I don't think it defines who you are, like your background. That's how I see things. Um, but I think it's important to understand that. I a hundred percent agree. I, I would say this, I think that, you know, I think that it's about self-awareness. I think a lot of people, either are never clued into the fact that you should learn as much about yourself as possible, or if they are clued into that, they kind of they either don't have the time or they're too kind of scared to do it. Mm-hmm. I was kind of muscled into it, into this idea. And here's why is I grew up, I grew up for a, a, a single parent family. It was just myself and my mother. My dad was rarely around. I've probably met my dad for about like 12 consecutive hours um, in my life. 
Um, and then also as a product of a, uh, a, a mixed race background as well. There are some like, I always look at it like this. I, there are some incredibly like cliched things that I am, you know, like, oh, so you're, you're tall, so you play basketball and you know, you have a voice, so you have to write love songs and you're from a single parent family. So you have to, and it's a mixed race, single parent family. So there's something there and it's, you know, there's like a whole series of, of like terrible cliches that I am. And so I tried to ignore that for the longest period of time. And it eventually came to a place where it's just kind of like, I have to look at who I am. Yeah. I have to look at who I am and why I am that person. Um, because not to put too fine a point on it, but I am, and I recognize this, I am a series of cliches. And the only thing I can do with that is try to be the best possible series of cliches. You know what I mean? Like if I'm, if I'm going to, I'm an only child. So if I'm going to be an only child, then I'm going to be self-centered and the world has to be about me. Well, okay, fine. Well, what does that mean? If I'm going to be the best possible version of that, and that means either as an athlete or as a business person, but let's talk about it as a business person, then create something that's so unbelievably like homogeneously driven to my own viewpoint that I have the ability to like share what I'm able to contribute and create with other people. Or if I'm going to be, um, you know, I mean, it's a really easy one. Like if I'm going to be tall and be a basketball player, like be the best dang tall basketball player that you can be, you know, because but I am ultimately, and, and a lot of us are a series of horrible cliches and we have to look at that, but we get lost in this idea and entrepreneurs are just criminally good at this. We get lost in this idea that we're so special and I'm not denying the fact that we are each and every single one of okay. us. As a unique I'm like, we are. we are. We're completely <laughs> special. I'm, I'm going to, yeah kind of put yeah, that no. we are, we are absolutely absolutely no doubt however that doesn't mean and this is a, a recent conversation as well that doesn't mean that we can't be knocked off the pedestal that we place ourselves on or that anybody else places us on by somebody who's simply willing to outwork in terms of competition so and now i'm no longer talking about basketball although that's equally as much the case but here's the deal in the business space, I, part of the company that I've created, one of, one of the things that we do and we do well is um, we assist rising businesses um, in branding themselves, marketing themselves and seeking funding. And so I see quite a lot of business ideas mm-hmm. kind of coming into my inbox. Incredible, brand new, vibrant, never been seen, never been heard of before business ideas. And then there's like 12 of them all on top of each other and they're all exactly the same, incredible, vibrant, never been seen before business idea. Um, And so ultimately what I'm saying is we as entrepreneurs respond to a need that's provided to us and we're all dealing with like the same basic needs that are coming out of societies and humanities. So the business that you're creating might not necessarily be as unique as you think it is. But what it is, is a product of two things. Well, three things. The first one being work. But the latter two being this. How hard you listen. And, again, with the pivot, how willing you are to pivot or be flexible. So here's kind of how that works. And I will dive into kind of more more of what I do and, and more of what I've been able to create as a business person. Your super unique idea that you have only you can do it the way that you can do it. But that doesn't mean that you should ignore a response to, it's a pretty typical business response, right? There's a need and a fulfillment. But here's the thing that I would say on the emerging business front, as unique as your idea is, be a competitor. And the way, the best way to be a competitor is to listen to where the easy wins are, mm-hmm. you know, as is a, a need and a response. Fulfill the immediate responses that are gonna get you the noticed more quickly. And then when more, response, or when more needs come through the door for you to respond to, don't be afraid then to pivot. As we talked about like pivot and code, right? The successes that I've had, you know, aside from being able to move quickly through the losses and the hardships, the successes that I've had where I've been able to gain momentum and keep rising have been rooted in behaving like I'm unafraid of anything. Even when I like ultimately am, because there's a ton of stuff I'm afraid of. But behaving like I'm not afraid of anything, behaving like, you know, if I put some money into this and I don't make it, I don't know, like my, my family will bail me out or, you know, I, and I don't know where that comes from, but 
approaching everything in the in the entrepreneur space like you have a golden parachute like you can't lose has been extremely productive for me and i don't know where it comes from i didn't make it up it's not a tactic i didn't read it it wasn't like hmm, what can i do to be super successful i'll just do this yeah. i have no idea where it comes from but i would advise it <laughs> it's, it's a lot of like i'm hearing a lot of confidence right like you have to be confident in yourself to take all these risks and just keep going and being like, okay, that didn't work out. Like, I'm not going to like have your moment, have your day, have your week or whatever, and like feel it. But then you're just like, okay, next, like now what? Right. Right. And you know, what? actually something that you just said is, and this is important because we've talked about coping and I, and I feel like for the past couple of minutes, I've been just hammering home a message that I have to like temper with a little reality right now. This like, no matter what happens, just be tough and move through things and always keep climbing and act like you're not afraid and be super confident. And even when you have a hard day, just be like, I'm not staying here, forget about this, I'm moving on. And that's great. But that's also, and that's something that I you know, have picked up from doing business in America. That, that message that I just conveyed is equally as toxic as when you're down, stay down. Like, mm -hmm make a bad day a bad week make it a bad month it's equally as toxic because what i've noticed in the business space here and this is something that covid 19 has done a really good job of exposing for us as entrepreneurs in the united states arguably like the capital country for startup business and entrepreneurship on the face of the planet right and we've done this thing where we listen to these like motivational speakers where we're like you know like there's eight days in a week you can 25 hours in a day and go crazy and yeah. just be up, 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 this thing that we do and then so when something happens that we genuinely can't overcome, then we get into this headspace of like, we're just kind of like scraping air, trying to climb kind of a deal. I don't know how else to describe it, but um, we didn't give ourselves an opportunity to use those coping mechanisms that I, that I talked about. And people don't have them. I see that. Yeah. I see that more in the United States than anywhere else. People don't have coping mechanisms for down days. And then that creates a strangely it's like this dysmorphic psychology where it's like people get sad because they feel sad or people get angry because they feel angry instead of saying, I just am sad right now. I just lost yeah. a bunch of money and my boyfriend, right now, girlfriend, whatever broke up with me. Yeah. I'm just sad. They're like, I shouldn't be sad. Now I'm angry that I feel sad, but now I shouldn't feel angry because that's the sign of weakness. So now I'm sad that I feel angry that I feel sad. And it becomes just like this ball of it instead of just being like, this is how things are right now. Yeah. And I will say that I I love where I'm from. I love the UK. And I think that one of the things that I that I took from the UK and that I take into every situation in the United States is just for things to be what they are and that's okay. Another part of what you what you wrote um here in that and I'm kind of like looking at this document. The, the, there's a there's a question way far down who's been my biggest inspiration and why i have the weirdest inspirations because it's not like you know it's not like well when i play basketball it's lebron james now i'm in business it's like warren buffett and when i was in music it was jay-z like i don't have those inspirations because i need to see people dealing with things day to day so it could be the weirdest like for example <laughs> my mailman here is like a huge inspiration to me right now because this guy is out here with the and i'm sure he has his down on but with the most positive attitude all the time going through something that could be like potentially very negative for his health or his family's health solving problems like dealing with people who you know create issues for him and i get to see that day by day like i don't know like i'd love to you know have jay-z as a media mogul who i'm genuinely inspired by and i sure i'm sure i am in a multitude of different ways but also i don't know how he deals with anything i've never i don't get to see that day to day yeah so it's not so much of an inspiration for me it's like yeah that's cool i want a billion dollars and like however many four grammy nominated that's cool that's inspiring but meantime between a billion dollars mm -hmm. there's like another million and another million and another million and for me it's like maybe i could have that conversation with somebody like jay-z or lebron james or warren buffett or whatever when I get to that place. So for me, this is like something else I say, say a lot to um, entrepreneurs is 
you can have as many inspirations as you like. It doesn't have to be like my inspiration for me yeah. is the biggest of highest because it's like, there's so much crap that has to happen. And I'm not saying don't let that be your mindset. Like I want to make a billion dollars and have an office in every major city, but yo, check this out. Let's get like a million dollars out the door in payroll and one office in your hometown first. And to do that, there's somebody who knows how to do that for you. Absolutely. And it, and you know what? It probably ain't Jay-Z or Warren Buffett. They're not going to roll down here and be like, well, here's what I would do if you wanted to kick something off in San Diego. But if I go up the street and I meet like some of the people, some of the guys here that are like really successful entrepreneurs that have been doing this for 20 years in San Diego, it's like an auto store down the way here that does luxury vehicles. I go down there and ask them how to build a client base on a business to business side of extremely successful people who have money to spend on luxurious stuff build that business portfolio they're going to have a better idea of how i can do that on my doorstep than bill gates so cool have huge lofty inspirations but mm -hmm. there's a ton of rungs on the ladder before you get to where those other people are at 100 if if nobody is aware what i'm saying ultimately is if nobody's aware of your work ethic and skill set mm -hmm. i see is your who you're patenting your inspirations after well there's you and a trillion other people patenting your inspirations after that person right you have to make people aware of your skill set and your work ethic mm -hmm. right and that's one step at a time so so baby steps every day and keep moving forward every day momentum but something that we're learning i think kind of from the millennials down is to build slowly yeah. but build in a way that what you're building is resilient and, and in and in sports and entertainment media and entertainment they run so close to uh to advertising marketing and branding that here's how that basically works is it is better instead of doing this thing where we look to these inspirations and we're like i want to i'm going to do a movie and get paid a million bucks for it cool what are we doing on the way to that million bucks or yeah. i want to build a company and make a billion bucks from it what are we doing on the way to that Mm -hmm. How are we making sure that as we scale out, we're capable of scaling in as well? And something that COVID-19 exposed for us is we are trash at scaling in. Yeah. We're not great at it. We scale out very quickly on kind of like paper drinking straws and we have this incredible, beautiful, huge company and then you drip a little water on it and it all starts to fall apart. Well, something that's always been of highest value to me is instead of just jumping straight for the million bucks, get a thousand, get 10,000, get a hundred thousand, get 500,000, get 700,000 and get a million. And on the way you're building a rigid uh, framework here that will allow you to be able to scale back in if need be, because you can always knock it back a little as opposed to, well, shoot, we only know how to make a billion bucks. And if we can't make that, we're making nothing. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. What? Um, you know, as much as you save, it costs a ton of money to run a business. And if you can't scale back, mm -hmm. provide some rigidity in your, in your infrastructure of wealth, then what do you have? Now, I'm not saying that's easy. As a, <clears throat> as a producer or, a, or an actor or, a, or an athlete, it's not. And that's why a lot of my work in the company that I've been able to create for myself now is in um, advertising, marketing, and branding. Like in, in terms of of developing again these these coping mechanisms one of those things that we have to take on board as, as entrepreneurs and creators is that <laughs> i don't know how else to say it other than we'll never be comfortable like we'll just never be comfortable it's not who we are yeah. we are not those kinds of people who just you know we've all got these incredible friends some of my like my best and favorite friends who are just like cool graduate high school grab a significant other, start having kids, get home, cool, done, finished. We need those people so much from a spiritual and psychological standpoint because they're like a solidification of what we need when we need to return to somewhere to feel grounded from an economic standpoint because frankly, they're the people that keep the economy turning over while we're out, out here having idea number 100 that's not working. Yeah. We need those people, but we aren't those people. We're never comfortable. We don't have that sit on the couch and just be cool mentality mm -hmm. and so when it comes to like having a good grip on that balance no absolutely not i do not have it figured out i can't i'm not i'm not as the same as any other entrepreneur or creative i'm a nutcase 
<clears throat> complete nutcase by myself because I'm never I'm like, yeah, balance. I have to be balanced. I have to use my creative skills to make myself feel better, but also use them to make money. See, I got it, got it figured out. I'm still freaking out about the whole thing because that's part yeah. of who you are as a creative and an entrepreneur. You have to take that on board about yourself, you know, and the money doesn't solve it and the projects don't solve it. Like I've worked with some incredible people in my career that I'm like, that's it. I've made it now. Like I've worked with that person. And then, and then it's like the next week I'm like going crazy again. Or it's like, wow, I just inked an incredible deal for the company. That's going to get myself and all the people that work for the company paid very handsomely. And I'm like, man, that is cool. And I'm just going crazy again. Like it just, we don't have that. Yeah. Entrepreneurs and creators don't have that. We don't have that. That comfort doesn't work for us. like that. You know? So and I think that's so well put because I've always struggled how to convey that is like, I'm never, it's almost like I'm never satisfied. Like I'm like, okay, if I'm working towards something and then it doesn't work out, I'm working on the next thing. But when it does work out, I'm still not satisfied. I'm like, okay, that that's great. But now what's next? Like I'm always thinking what's next. And sometimes like for me personally, I don't take that moment to enjoy it long enough yeah. and I'm trying to be conscious of that. But other times I'm just constantly, cause I'm not comfortable staying like right. static. You know, there's a million books and a million podcasts, uh, you know, about how to deal with that. Um, I don't know everything, but I know enough to say this. I don't think that they're ultimately in terms of dealing with it, like eradicating that feeling. I don't think there is. And here's why and you just wouldn't want it. I don't think that any of us would want that. You know, we all know like an entrepreneur or a creative who's just like complaining about, man, I just didn't get any sleep last night because I was up working on painting this painting or doing this piece of graphic design or writing this song or writing this script or learning the script or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, God, and it's like, man, like, oh, uh, uh, but we love the same as like entrepreneurs. It's like, I, don't, I can't make it. I have like 25,000 calls today. I can't do it. I don't have the time. And you're like, oh, they seem really stressed out. They wouldn't, we don't want that. It's not in our mindset. It's not in a, in a makeup psychologically. We met when we were early to mid 20s. So what would yourself now tell your 20 something self if you could go back in time? You know, what I think that I do knowing myself decently well. And I will answer that question. But the first thing I do is I would ask my 20 year old self the following because my 20 year old self probably wouldn't have responded well to being told anything. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do have an answer. I would ask my 20 year old self what I think I'm good at. And the reason for that is because I don't think that I knew at that age. I think that I knew what I enjoyed. And it's only now looking back on it that I can see what I was good at at that point in time. But I don't think I knew when I was 20. And I think that if somebody would have asked me and said, what are you good at? What sets you apart? I don't think I would have been like, oh, like I can sing songs and I can like make music and I can like act stuff. And I don't, I think I would have just been like, I don't know. Cause that was just stuff I really, really liked. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to be given the opportunity to think about that might make me then take certain things a little bit more seriously, a little bit more seriously than I did at least. Instead of, you know, I, I think the number one thing that we need to instill kids with is a compelling sense of confidence because so much can be achieved just by confidence alone. I don't think that I had that. I think I was like very art minded when I was younger. I was very like, you know, kind of almost, almost like cool gothic emo background kid where it's like I'm super talented and stuff, but I'm also super like removed from stuff because like society sucks and stuff, you know? That I think affected the ultimate level of confidence that I, that I maybe possibly should have had at a younger age. So if somebody would have asked me, what are you good at? And I would have been like, um, this. And then they would have been like, do this. Like, be confident, do, but go head and shoulders. Be. So, and because I really feel that, like I feel like we should instill kids with a massive sense of confidence. Like that's what we should do. Because somebody somewhere is coming along, you know, with all the confidence in the world and probably half the ability and they're taking the job or taking the money or taking the boyfriend or taking the girlfriend or taking the car or taking the house or taking the your spot at the beach. I don't even know. But they're, they're just coming along with half the ability and two times the confidence. And then you're like, Mom. It you is. I mean? Confidence is key. 
in a majority of aspects in our lives, 100%. So to answer your question that you asked me, which was, what would I, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but yeah, what, what, would I, what would I tell my 20 year old self? I wouldn't, I would ask him what he's good at. And then when he told me, I would give him all the information I had on how to be head and shoulders above that. And I would tell him that the most important thing in the world is be confident at that. Be like obnoxiously confident at that. And um, back that up by figuring out what you got to do to be head and shoulders above the rest. You know what I mean? Like find the next nearest competitor and beat them. Uh, Cause that's how things are in life a little bit. So does that make sense? Yeah. hundred percent. I like it. And you know what else? Hmm. If I have any regrets, which I have a few, um, th- it would be not exerting a sense of confidence in something that I knew that I could be dominant in just because I felt like it was a rung in the ladder that I didn't need to step on. And, and I, here's a, a kind of an example of that. I've, I've seen that a lot in singing for me. There were roles that I wouldn't go for because I'd be like, whether it was in musical theater or, you know, whether it was like, whatever it was, like singing based roles that I wouldn't, I just wouldn't go for confidently because I was kind of like, no, nah, it's fine. It doesn't matter. I can, you know, if I don't do this one, I'll just get the next one and it's fine. Instead of like being more of a shark about things and being like, I'll do that and I'll do the next one coming too. Yeah. And I don't care if this one right here isn't really worth much to me. I'll learn something from it mm-hmm. because what I did it, with that in mind is I, I did that thing that I was talking about where it's like, I had my sights set on like a billion. I'm like, no, I won't do that. And I won't do that. And I won't do that. Cause I'm like really more focused on the billion instead of being like, you know what? There's a thousand bucks with my name on it. Yeah. That's a thousand bucks that contributes to that billion. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I didn't do that. And, and, and that again is something that I, when I speak with people in terms of finding success in the media and entertainment industry, this is the thing that I say, the analogy that I use, everybody wants a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, whatever you got it, whatever. But everybody wants a super fast, cool car. Do you have your driver's license? Because we do this thing, like I was working with a client recently since I've been doing more music production. I, wanna, I just want to like do a spot at Coachella. I just want to be on stage at Coachella. Okay, here's the deal. You can't get a spot at Coachella unless you can perform for like an hour straight with, with non-variable quality. Yeah. Be able to lead a band, probably do a ton of dance moves and all that kind of stuff. And this person, the client I was working with, couldn't stay focused to hold together a 15-minute set. This is the deal. Like you're not going to have Coachella unless you can do the coffee shop. You're not going to have the Ferrari unless you got, you can drive the Honda Civic. You got to work your way up. You got to. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here's the deal. I'm not talking crap about your local coffee shop or your Honda Civic. I'm not. But what I'm saying is you have to begin somewhere like this idea and the, and the internet has fed into this kind of negative perpetuation that we have to where I'm just going to sit at home and I'm going to blow up on the internet and then I'm going to make a billion bucks and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So we don't go out and do stuff. We don't, we don't get the small ones. So it's like, literally you stand a chance. Like if you just did every coffee shop, every an acoustic set, every coffee shop, you're closer to then pulling off your Coachella performance than you are sitting at home and just releasing a track every now and then. Yeah. Same as if you go jump in your, get your driver's license and go jump in your like 95 Honda Civic. That's like kind of a beater and you're cruising around. Okay. You might pull up at the lights next to somebody in their Ferrari who's like, hey, how you doing? You're like, hey, how you doing? And then you end up getting to know him and then you get to drive a Ferrari as opposed to just staying at home and being like, I'm going to make a million bucks and spend it on a Ferrari. Like you have to do the rungs and the ladder. You have to. Because even if you don't get a dollar out of them, you're going to get a ton of knowledge. So you have to do the rungs and the ladder. You can't be... You can't be set in this idea that there are opportunities that I'm going to miss out on because I'm destined for something greater because you'll just never get to the greater. And aside from that as well, and aside from that, as, and it's also learning experiences, but it's also 
that's how the adventure begins because that's how you start to learn a new direction like shoot you might be like i'm gonna do every coffee shop till i can do coachella or whatever and then you do a couple of coffee shops and you're like actually i don't want to do coachella now i've decided i want to do another festival or you you know you might get out in the world and you know drive your you know your car that's kind of a little bit of a beater and then be like i want to get this ferrari and then like five to eight years later you're like oh i could buy a ferrari now but i've actually decided i want a lamborghini you know what i mean it's and you learn all these things and then you're able to purvey this knowledge not only to the people that you love and care about but you're able to create like this homogenized sense of self because you're like nobody told me what my dream was i built it for myself like I went out there and I figured out what did and did not work for me because I engaged in so much other stuff instead of just being like, I want a Ferrari and to go to Coachella. And on the way you learned there's a better car for you than a Ferrari and there's a better stage for you than Coachella. And it's your dream. You know what I mean? Experience. Right. And consistency. Right. right. And the thing is about that is, everybody's dream is different you know we, we meet a ton of people in the business space who do this thing where where it's like you know and i keep saying this but they're like i'm gonna be a business person and they have like 100 offices and like 60 million employees and like make nine billion dollars a year and it's going to be awesome but the reality of the situation is they don't actually want that level of stress what they want is something less than that or they're yeah. like i'm going to be a basketball player i'm going to go to the nba and it's going to be but they don't want that level of stress like it is completely fine to look at the biggest, boldest, brightest parts of everybody else's dream and be like, that's actually not for me. It's not. Like, I'm cool with that. Like, I am. Like, you know, the European car that I wanted turned out not to be a Lamborghini. It turned out to be like a rock-solid BMW because it's better on gas and I'm seven feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's okay to do that. But I don't think that we... It's, it's difficult. I don't have any kids yet. Um, it's difficult to know i think probably how to communicate that to a youngster without making them ultimately complacent like to be able to say what are you good at work super hard at that but if it doesn't come together it's fine that's probably quite a difficult part of parenting mm -hmm. i would imagine because ultimately you don't want to stress your kid out to the point where it's like this is what i have to be good at but at the same time you don't want them to be like i don't have to be good at anything it's fine you know what i mean it's it's, it's a difficult balance and i and i would praise all parents who have given birth to young exceptional talent or maybe not given birth to, but been able to foster young exceptional talent and been able to put a bunch of time and money and effort and energy into their child. Um, especially if they're a child that like is big time on the spectrum of entrepreneurial or big time on the spectrum of creative because those kids, while they seem, like they are not the easiest to deal with from what we've seen in life pay back the biggest dividends you know what i mean it's like we we hear, we hear stories about creatives you know what i mean it's like i don't know i can't remember who it is but i think it was jim carrey who's like sleeps in his car for like whatever it is four years in los angeles and like is down to his last dollar and then books an audition and now is jim freaking carrey Mm -hmm. but what were his parents thinking at the time like how's james doing oh he's still down in california sleeping in his car Arr! like embarrassing child but then all of a sudden not embarrassing child yeah. you know what i mean and then and same thing in the entrepreneurial space as well you know i can't think of any right now but i'm sure i don't know i feel like maybe steve jobs is one of them or whatever anyway but go for like 30 years and it's like what's steve doing Oh, he's yeah. still doing his computers in the garage like yeah. it's embarrassing he's such a nerd and then all of a sudden apple shut up you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, and so imagine being a parent to one of those children where it's like, oh, what is my loser kid doing sleeping in their car in Los Angeles yeah. and trying to start a computer company from his friend's garage? Oh, like this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, not a loser kid anymore. Not all but, of a sudden, but. No, not all of a sudden. Years, all, because, years. well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, I don't know if it was Jim Carrey who was like sleeping in the car and down to the last dollar, but imagine how many auditions he was doing that he didn't need, that he did, that he learned something that he probably uses now. Or for example, you know, like if you're Steve Jobs or whoever it was, Steve Wozniak, whatever, in your garage, like imagine how many pieces of programming and tech they learned that they were like, this is boring. Why am I even doing this? I just have to do it because I have to do it. One yeah. boring. That then when they had a massive company and people were coming on board, they can be like, yeah, I coded that. I know what that, I know how that works. Like that kind of stuff is invaluable. Like it's of the highest value because 
being able to do every single rung of the ladder is what makes you accessible. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that Jim Carrey movie where he's with his wife and he goes broke or, or whatever, and they end up sleeping in their car. Why do you think that this guy, if it was him, for example, is able to go from like, I'm rich, cool business millionaire. This is my wife. It's cool. And then immediately in the next scene, play a role where he's <clears throat> sleeping in his car. And you're like, one minute you're laughing hysterically. And the next minute you're like, this is breaking my heart. Like, this is breaking my heart. Yeah. Because he knows how to do it. Same deal with running a successful company like Apple. I can't remember that it was Wozniak or Jobs or whoever it is, but learns like these pieces of, you know, programming and coding that are like to them trash, but they're doing it. Then when they start a company and they're hiring people and they're like, oh, hey, yeah, no, I know that piece of coding. And then all of a sudden you're having a direct dialogue with the CEO, of, albeit not a huge company at that point in time. But yeah. the person who founded the company recognizes what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's what builds companies that are incredible is the ability to do, you know, like if the, the person who owns the grocery store comes down and teaches you how to use the cash register. You're going to be way more impressed and way more invested in creating a, a great, bright, bold company with that person than somebody who's just like, I don't really know how to do that. I skipped all the rungs of the ladder. I just know yeah. I have that billionaire mindset. I'm super cool. The billionaire mindset or the millionaire mindset is not the idea that I deserve a million or a billion bucks for anything. It's the idea that I know intimately each and every single part of what it is that I'm building. And if I don't know it intimately, I'll cycle back and learn it. Because it means that not only to be completely ruthless, but from a business perspective, you can see where your business is leaking and hemorrhaging finance. But it also means that you can identify with the people who are working on your team to build and assist in your greatness. So you have to sleep in the cars and you have to do the bad coding in your garage. You have to do that. It's how you build genuine greatness. You know what I mean? It's how it is. I think. No, I totally agree. I think it's better when you know like the ins and outs of your company and basically you can replace any worker that would like call in sick and you're able to do it. Hopefully you're not doing it, but especially if you're in like a higher position, you want to be able to hire. Like the best example I can give you is if I owned a hair salon, I'm not just going to manage it from a business perspective. I want to learn how to do hair. So if one of my stylists steps back or has a sick day, I can jump in and be like, no, I can do this. I will relate this anecdote to you because it's extremely personal. I'm the um, founder and majority owner of Climate Media, a full service advertising agency, um, offering the whole spectrum of branding, marketing and advertising uh, services and some because you know we've also been involved in shooting music videos at a high level and shooting for film and television which is in and of itself marketing but um one of the reasons when i got into my venture capital network that i'm in one of the reasons and they'll tell you the same thing that i was able to secure any kind of funding at all is because and my investors sat around the table and said this is so the cool thing about your business is if you can't find the people to do it, you can just do it, right? Like if you can't find a script writer or you can't find a composer, or you can't find a data, a data and analytics professional, any of these kinds of things, like you can just do it, right? Yep, cool. I didn't realize how much value that had at the time because I was trying to be like big bad boss where I'm like, yeah, I could, but I'm not going to because we're going to hire people to do it. And I'm a super big deal, so I'd never have time not realizing that that's not the case at all. Like the super big bad boss is the person that invests their time in learning every single part of the company that they're dealing with. That is the super big bad boss. Cause that super big bad boss is the one that you want to be. Cause they know everything. Not the one that's just like, I don't know why we work for this guy. He doesn't know anything. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, a hundred percent, you know, whether you're cutting hair or whether you, you know, reading a, a data sheet to figure out what people want to look at so you can create a piece of content for them or whether you, you know you own an auto shop and you can fix every part of a car now where the difficulty comes in because you're 100 correct where the difficulty comes in in my experience has been hiring and delegating because then you come to a new space where you're like i can do all of this and i can do all of this exactly how i want to do it and if i did it it would be perfect but here's the deal you're wrong. If you doing it means it's perfect, you're out of your mind. What that means is it's perfect to you because that's the size and shape of your ego. Because it's the size and shape of my ego. 
Yeah. It just is. Like I had the hardest time hiring people to do jobs that I felt like I could do myself because yeah. I was like, they're not, they're just not going to do it. This is how it's not going to be good. It's not. And then even when they did it, it'd be like, yeah, this is not great. Like this isn't, this isn't good. I've like hired people and they're not very good. And not, like now my whole world's crumbling down because now I trusted them and now I have to pay them and da, da, da. And then all of a sudden something happened, like a client would see the work or, you know, it, it, it would be, it would go out as like a, a piece of like very data driven and it would return incredible numbers. And it's like, these people are, are incredible, you know? And so that's kind of, that's part of the, the, the pivot and cope as well is, is that's the roller coaster that you go through. And some, I'm not negating. Sometimes you do hire people who aren't super well suited to what you've hired them to do. Yeah. You know, that's part of it. And you have to deal with that as you go. But learning to hire and delegate, like the hiring process for me was like the most difficult thing ever. Because I was like, somebody could bring me like a resume this thick and I read it all and I'd be like, they've done more than I could ever possibly do with my life. They're literally a genius but they don't understand my business. And for that reason alone, they're not going to be very good at it. And you're like, what are you crazy? From a bipartisan standpoint, if you, from the outside looking in, you just look like a control freak nutcase. Give the person the job, give them the job. They're probably going to be incredible at it. And you know what? They were. Let's pivot. (laughs) Let's talk about music. So tell me, are you still making music? Are you still producing music? What are you doing? Because you're very talented. I am. I always am, and always will be making music for myself. Because, yeah. like I mentioned, it's a it's a coping mechanism. Um, the thing with me is, I have a lot of different inspirations, and if we've learned anything about the music space, it's usually that the more homogenized styles of music are more successful. My music, for example, could be, you know, a myriad of like four different genres in one song. People don't respond particularly well to that. So um, I, I haven't put a ton out over the past few years. Um, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm completely fine with that. On the flip side of that, um, I am still producing independently um, as well. Um, I did have a castle still? So BCMG is no longer an entity anymore. Really? It's been, dis- yeah, it's been disassembled. Now there is a subdivision of climate media called climate music. And climate music doesn't only deal in music video production um, and music production, but also in soundscaping, film score and composition for film and also live music events too. So um, BCMG, as you know, it doesn't exist. Climate music does. Um, and climate music is responsible for, we've been involved in a creation of music video for uh, French Montana, Charlie XCX, um, a bunch of independent artists as well. Um, as well as hosting events. And I, I am, I still do a bunch of independent production along with the other producers that we have working with climate music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been an exciting kind of like past two or three years. We've been able in the creative space to do some incredible stuff in the past, three, four years. We do, yeah, like I say, we do, we hold the trademark for Sunday Fun Day and we've been operating that. Um, we have four flourishing subdivisions of climate media. Climate media in and of itself is kind of a parent company that is just kind of like got babies in the world that are doing well and doesn't really do much apart from run finance and pay taxes for them. But uh, yeah, climate music, like I mentioned, has, has flourished and works well. There's another subdivision of climate media called Get Dope Content, which is an extremely affordable video content production outfit that um, I think all of our price points are like under a thousand bucks now. And considering, you know, we we uh, use some incredible equipment, you know, we, we work mostly with Red Digital Cinema and Canon for all our Canon equipment. So we have very high grade stuff there. And um, there's also the musicvideocompany.com. Um, the I thought this was kind of cool. The M U V I C O, the Movie Co, the music video company. Yeah. Um, which is a a subdivision again of our of our talent and our and our, and our skill set of the company that's oriented and passionate about uh, oriented towards and passionate about making music video and only music video, and we're able to do that at a pretty affordable price point as well. You're um, doing and so then, much, like. I am not doing so much. The company that I've been lucky to be able to lead and build is doing a ton. And those people are incredible people, incredible, incredible people. And I enjoy sitting in a room 
or <laughs> will enjoy again sitting in a room with them. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I enjoy sitting in a room with them and being the least intelligent person at the table. Like I love that. And so, I, and I and I will say this, and it's it's not a negative thing, but it's it's a growth space. I, um, we've started so much. You know, if you spin so many plates, you're going to break so many, so many of them. And I'm only now speaking about the stuff that's working right now um, because it's what I'm doing. I'm marketing right now. I'm marketing myself and I'm marketing my company. But we've started so many things that have gone nowhere. And we've started a couple of things that have not only not gone anywhere, but they've like violently kind of blown up in our face. And that's as a, as a, response, of, as a response to me, like I say, just having so many different interests and so many different things. Um, but it's also as a response to the fact that I've been extremely lucky in being able to find like-minded people who are kind of like fearless and invested in both sides of their mind, um, you know, and hard workers as well. And, and the, and the people that I've been gifted with that work for the company that I've created are like everything because outside of that, there is no difference between me and the next guy you know who's like yeah i'm an entrepreneur but i, I do beats as well and like i can sing a song and like i had a record deal and i can play basketball and i'm cool and you're just like whatever bro because that is me like i mentioned the, the cliche that is me like be under no false pretenses that is me i am that guy like i do beats like i sing songs like yeah i'm a marketer yeah i'm like i can make your brand better i'm a basketball player like that is me and the only difference like i say is it's the perfect storm between People can see me a ton when I walk into a room and people seem to think I'm intelligent because I have an English accent, but I'm lucky. Much more than that, but yeah. (laughs) I have great people. I have great people. And you know what? I'm not taking the words out of your mouth, but there's something that you said, like if I could, if I could, I guess, label myself. But because yeah, like I can market because I can write and create and I can brand because I have an imagination and I can lead a company because I have some skill that I've learned over the years being a leader and that's all well and good. That's great. Um, but what I am is just a people person. Like I'm invested in people. I love learning about people. I love seeing people be happy. I also have a bit of a main streak as well to where if I feel there's an injustice that people are experiencing, I do have a main streak and I will like chase down injustice and extinguish it and i've been lucky so far that the injustices that i've perceived have actually been injustices as opposed to perceived ones but i have to be careful about that a part of my character that could maybe not be positive but i'm a i'm a people person like i love people and i know and it's always been that way sing a song to them play a game for them talk to them about their life you know I'm i'm a people person and i'm invested in people at kind of every every level i possibly can be um, and like a good friend of mine and business partner says, after that, I just make shit up for a living. I feel like that's going to be the title of your book one day. If, if, if my buddy doesn't do it first. Then that's like, but no, thank you so much for taking so much of your time today to speak with me and my audience and maybe your audience too our audience. Um, but yeah, it just, it was such a pleasure speaking with you and catching up with you. I always love our chats and, um, I cannot wait to see what happens next and where this journey takes you next and what city we see each other next, essentially. (laughs) But, um, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're uh, you're more than welcome, and I and I am um, I'm grateful to be a part of of what it is that you're doing and and continually building as well. It's it's nice to uh, you know it's always nice to be shown attention by people who you know you can look right back across that and say they're doing well and they're on a build and I so I so I value that and uh, I'm uh, I'm available so reach out for questions comments to debunk any of the insane things that i've just said or if you are an incredibly talented clothing designer and want to assist in the creation of the pivot and cope brand i guess
But no, honestly, I absolutely like, you know, we've been friends for so long and I really respect your hustle and your drive. And I think you're just super talented and you're so humble and sweet. And I just, you know, I think you're going to do amazing things or you're going to continue to do amazing things. So yeah, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And you're welcome. And cut. <laughs> and you go. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what else to say, actually. That's all I got. That's all I got. Okay, we out. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>